Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. If you've been with us, we have launched um, a series on hope. Um, we put out to the body a survey, and the vast majority of questions we got back from people were all centered around this idea about end times. And so what we're doing um, in this series is we're taking all those questions and we're really just each week laying a foundation for our hope. What are the primary biblical promises that we have in God that, are, that support our fundamental idea of what hope is all about? And so that's what we're spending time doing in this series. This morning, we're looking at this, the, probably the most fundamental aspect of hope, which is our hope of the appearing of the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon, is what the word says. This is fundamental to our hope, right? It's at the very foundation of our hope. But I, I just want to, as we get into this this morning, I, I just want to ask you, where is that in your thinking and in your daily hope? Where is the reality, the holding on to the promise that Jesus is coming back to make all things right and all things new? And where is that in part of your daily hope? How often are you thinking about his return? How often is that even on our minds today as God's people that Jesus is coming back? That's fundamental to the Christian hope. And uh, we're going to see it here in the scripture. It's, it's all in, and towards the, even the end of the Bible, it's how the scriptures end for us is, is uh, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come, right? It, is to be on our hearts. But I'm afraid that what we see a lot of the times is we're, you know, when this topic comes up, there's more yawn than, you know, yawning in response to this issue of Christ's return. Then there is really a real longing, a deep heartfelt sense of longing for the return of our Savior and understanding um, that that's at the very bedrock of, of our hope. And in America today, where is the Christian church? Where is this even talked about that much? And, and, and here's a little subtle thing. It's like when something go, goes bad in our life or bad in the world, we will flippantly hear Christians or we'll do it ourselves. Oh, well, Jesus needs just to come back, right? That's how we do it. That's typically how we talk about the return of Christ. But I want to expose something. When we do it like that, you know what we're really saying oftentimes Oftentimes, that's kind of second best. We're saying, oh, I, I, the, my world or life or what I thought life was going to be like, it's falling apart. So, oh, Jesus, you just come. You see how we do an injustice to that? What that really reveals in our heart is that our real hope was what? Our real hope was in, 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 in this world and what's going on here. When, in, when our, is what did Paul said, we see it all through the scripture in the early church. Paul said real clearly, says what? It says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he said, I'd much rather depart and be with Christ. Being with him is best. And folks, this just really uncovers for all of us and for the church today, where is our knowledge, our, our real intimate experience with the living God of knowing Jesus? Do, do we live in that? Do we long to be with him? Or are we sitting there sulking, worrying, and, and fearful, and, and so disappointed with what's happening around us? Um, boy, it, it, hope is impossible, Christian hope, without this welling up of a longing, right, for the return of our Lord, right? The return of Jesus is fundamental to this. So I want to just drill in this and, um, this morning. In Titus, just this amazing few verses um, in this little book of Titus this morning. 
and I want to throw out kind of this, this idea, this kind of question. What are we working forward to? So in other words, most of the time we would say, what are we looking forward to? And it is an interesting question to dive into with people. Hey, what are you really looking forward to? What are you excited about? And we should encourage each other, believers, with this discussion. And, and let's just get honest with this. A lot of the times, what am I excited about? What am I looking forward to? It, it's, it's something very temporal related to what's going on in this world, isn't it? But, but whatever I'm looking forward to is the scripture. In other words, I need to be able to put working in there. Whatever I'm looking forward to is what I should be working towards, working forward to. Right, I should be, right, what, what I'm looking forward to in the future, I should be harnessing all of who I am, right, and putting that towards that future thing I'm hoping for and looking forward to. So the question this morning is how do we do that? How do we end this season? How do we encourage each other? How do we, how do we restore this longing for, for Christ's return? And, and let's just get honest. All of us, I think we can say, look, that, that passion, come Lord Jesus, is, is not where it needs to be in the church in our lives, in our hearts, right, today, and in the church as a whole, right, in, in America. And so we need to restore that. And so um, I just want to point out a few things. Hopefully you'll take these things this morning. Um, I've had such a rich time in these verses because let's just face it, right, we're abroad every day with a thousand different things going on, the uncertainty, the changing of this, that, all the different things going on, uh, you know, of what we can do, can't do, and, and uh just everything is just uncertain, the chaos, right? And, and man, we have got to just kind of move ourselves to this platform of the truth of God and really encourage ourselves. And this has been so rich for me. These, there's so much packed into these few little verses of 11 through 14. Um, I just want to point out a couple things, and I hope that you will take these and, and just build up and encourage yourself. When we're done, we're going to do what we've been doing. There's two mics up here, and uh, we're going to just move into a time of encouraging each other. Church was never to be a one-way situation. Church, the body of Christ, is always to be right with one another, encouraging each other. Um, we had an amazing time this morning at our first service. I, I just had to get up and tell everybody thank you because it, it just it lifted me uh, um, hugely this morning to hear. I don't know how many people we had get up and just read the Word of God, the passages that had encouraged them that they were holding on to. It was awesome. Uh, and it just built everybody up, right? You could just feel it, right? And that's what church is all about, okay? So here we go. We're just going to lay a foundation for it this morning. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The word of God, may it not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. May it sink into our hearts as the seed of God's truth and may it bring forth great fruit in our lives, okay? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Wow, the word of God, huh? Really great stuff. So here we go. First thing, 
How are we going to do this? How are we going to build ourselves? How are we going to, to establish this, this longing for, um, for Christ, that our Lord would return? And, and how are we going to establish faith as rock solid, right, in our lives on a, on a daily basis? It begins right here with the solution. It begins right here with clarity of what the gospel is. What is the solution? What is the real solution? Because right now, right, so let's just take our current situation, right? We have um, <clears throat> all kinds of issues, but not many solutions, right? And really, that's the history of the world, right? And mankind trying to solve problems, right, and continuing to try to do that without God's help, and without recognizing Him, without putting ourselves humbly before Him, Right, But the beginning of this whole thing is just laying out clarity in the church and in our lives. What is the gospel and what is the solution that the gospel brings right to us? And let's just start on a big scale is that the only solution, the only hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. But unfortunately, what's crept into the church today is we've got a thousand causes, a thousand other things that we are trying to hold and gain hope from rather than the central aspect that should be exalted which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the only hope for the world. Nothing else. And only the gospel can solve the world's problems. And then well, let's take that down. And we have to be clear on what's the solution for the human condition. Only the gospel, only Jesus' love, his sacrifice for us, his forgiveness for us, the grace of God is the only solution for the human soul. And again, clarity on this before we move and build up hope, I have to understand that, that in this, this, this process of, of, of understanding and being strengthened right, in our hope that there, there's nothing else that, that I can hold on to outside of the gospel. And that unless the human heart is transformed, all of my efforts, all of my causes, all of my politics, all of my working, right, is, is fruitless, because this world is passing away. We're going to deal with that in just a minute. Is I have to understand the real solution. Ultimately, unless human hearts are changed, all of my efforts, okay, end without an eternal impact. Right? So unless at the tip of this spear, unless I, I have restored into my life and whatever I'm doing, unless at the tip of this thing is an emphasis of understanding the only thing that's going to really bring real solutions is a changed heart, Right? And that's through the gospel, through the grace and love of God um, for this. So it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And again, it's, it's beautiful here in the sense of making very clear there isn't another path. There isn't another option. There isn't another solution for the world, every tongue, tribe, and nation. The gospel is it. And when Jesus sent forth, when the Father sent forth Jesus into this world to bring that good news, his death, his burial, his resurrection, right, his first appearing, right, br brings about the full fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises of God is about in this world, in history. His primary focus is gaining, is creating, is restoring, is renewing a people for his own possessions, building a family of God. That is what he's most concerned about. That is his focus. And we talk about, well, what's going on what's God up to in this in this whole thing that's going on it, it's pretty clear what God's up to it's the same thing he's been up to from the very beginning in the garden this is real important to understand people say what's God up to with everything that's going on he's up to what he's always been up to he is about redeeming a people a family for his own possession that's what God is primarily up to 
And with everything going on, his primary focus is how is the church going to respond to what is going on during these times. The scripture says judgment begins with the house of God. He's about purifying it and usually he puts pressure on for his church to be purified so it again can be that light, right, to, to the world and bring about the solution, right, to people's hearts and, and to the world. That is what God is primarily up to. In all of the world, from the beginning of time, as we'll see, that that is his work. That is what he calls us into. And so all of our other work and efforts and services and everything else, they should all submit to this overall cause, which is embracing the cause of Christ, right, in this process. So we have to begin with the clarity, the clarity of what is the gospel. Am I clear about the solution, the real solution out there? Because if I'm not clear on that, and, and someone has said long ago, we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Am I under this, the grace of God? And do I understand what God has done for me? And do I understand that nothing's really changed, right, without the gospel at work? If I haven't got that settled in my life, guess what? I'm going to be pulled by a thousand different things as news and fear and everything else hits. Is I'm going to be pulled here into this thing, pulled into that thing, and, and I'm going to be confused and uncertain, right, in these times about what real hope is, right? And I'm going to miss being the, the, the rock-solid assurance and confidence that we're to have in Christ of standing on his truth, right, and on his cause. I'm going to miss out on that, right? So we begin here. And so we talk about, well, what am I working towards, right? What am I looking forward to? How much of this, how much of really holding on to and then being a part of the real solution or bringing the real solution to real problems am I a part of? Right? How much of that is embracing me, right? So second thing is we need a grace awakening, folks. Um, in, in a whole new, I think it was Swindoll years ago wrote a book called Grace Awakening. Um, we need awakening to understand what the grace of God is really all about. We have cheapened the grace of God today in America like never before. I'm just going to say it like it is. He says that the grace of God, this might be shocking to some of us when it comes to understanding the definition of grace, but not only does the grace as it appeared through Jesus coming to forgive us and to redeem us and rescue us, but the grace of God trains us to renounce. So if the grace of God has been genuinely received and genuinely operative in my life and in your life, it is going to train us to do two primarily things. One is to renounce, right, is, is the process of renouncing, and he just labels uh, all ungodliness, worldly passions, setting aside the ways of the world, setting aside the old things in my life that have me tethered to the old self, the old way of life, and the worldly ways, and grace, if it's operating in my life, well, well, the second thing is I start to live the new life. And Paul defines this as he's writing to Titus. He defines this as to live with self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So we need a grace awakening. And what I mean by that is today, folks, we do not take sin seriously. Not only does the church not, but the, obviously the world doesn't take sin seriously any longer. And that's crept into the church. We don't take sin seriously any longer. And when you don't take sin seriously, it's impossible to take the grace of God seriously. When we don't take sin seriously, we cheapen the grace of God. And we cheapen the radical transformation that comes through the power of the gospel itself. Right? And, and so 
when Paul says, look, these two things, right, should be happening is, is uh, man, we need to be renouncing these things and we need to be putting on the new life of God. And you see this all through the New Testament. If you know Paul, he says, put on, off the old life, put on the new life. And that's the operation of the grace of God. We've kind of taken grace down to this simple thing that God just brings us this idea that I can kind of do whatever I'm going to do and God will just kind of forgive me and give me God's grace. And this is how we even interact with other believers. We enter into their life and we just kind of cheapen. They're, they're just walking away from God or against him, his word in, in many different ways. And we just kind of go into that place of not offending and, and going lightly on sin. And this has catered and moved us into a very therapeutic culture. And let me just speak boldly on this, is, is with the power of the gospel, the power of the grace of God, everything Jesus did on that cross, he defeated the power of sin and he defeated the power of death. The two things that no man, we've never been able to accomplish, and when those two things have to happen for any dream, for, for all things to be possible, is the power of sin has to be broken, right? For real peace, for real transformation, renewal in this world to take place, for any kind of hope of forever, is the second thing, death has to be dealt with. And no one else in all the world has dealt with death like, Je- de- dealt with death like Jesus, right? His grace in, in this process. And, and what have we done? That by weakening and not taking sin seriously in the church first, and in hence, right, in, in the world itself is what's happened. We've cheapened the grace of God, and we've moved into a therapeutic environment, right, where we coddle things. Folks, and this cheapens. It takes it, two things happen here. This is, is a weakening of, 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 of a wrong uh, sense of, of sin and a weakening of the grace of God. When Jesus defeated those two things at the cross, he rose on the third day. Let me just say boldly, there's no darkness in my life. There is no oppression in my life. There is no issue in my life that the Jesus and his work is not capable of defeating and changing and transforming. Right? Nowhere in the Bible do we see that somebody has to, because I had all this trauma in my life, because I had all these issues in my life, that I have to live dragging my feet through this life. Nowhere. In other words, it is sufficient for breakthrough. It's sufficient for any darkness, any bondage out there today. The gospel is sufficient to radically transform somebody's life. And here's the kicker. God expects that. He expects when I receive the grace of God that I start being equipped by that grace of God and putting off and putting on. And he expects me to get into your life and you to get in my life to make sure I'm on that course. He does not. Nowhere in there is this sense of coddling. Well, brother, sister, you've got issues. We need to just kind of work alongside here. Do you understand what I'm saying here? sensitivity yes and you know what for some of some situations yes it takes long yes we need counselors all these people don't get me wrong but in the midst of our therapeutic culture what have we done we have minimized the power of the gospel to transform and radically liberate people right and when I, when I have a right understanding of, the, of how wretched sin is and how it will destroy, not just my life, but it is the result of the fallenness of our world. When I get a hold of that, then I start to get a sense of humility about me, of crying about only God can solve this issue in my life. And folks, I've been there in, in issues in my life where I kind of pity party or this happened or I'm not getting breakthrough in this area of my life or whatever it is. What am I saying when I do that? 
Or if I am just going light with a friend, I'm walking alongside someone, and I'm just not being real honest with them about the, the, the power of them not obeying the word of God, is, is basically what I'm doing. So I'm telling Jesus, Jesus, you know what? Your work on the cross is not sufficient for my issue. This is what's happening in the churches. We have subtly right, allowed this thing to happen in the church where we can be in a position where, you know what, his work on the cross, his death, is just not sufficient enough for my emotions. It's just not sufficient enough for my life in the state I'm in. That's what we're saying. And folks, that's just flat out sin. That's flat out unbelief, right? It's more than sufficient, and, it's, and I can't get breakthrough until I bow before that. And, and I, I call upon him to make a stand, right, to, to come and to have breakthrough in my life. Folks, we need a grace awakening. If we're going to restore the hope and the power of the gospel, we need an awakening to understand what the grace of God is. That can't happen until God's people, again, take seriously sin. Take it seriously. And there's only one solution for sin. Only one. And that is the cross the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense, gang? Yes. Right? We've got to see this, this, this awaken again. And in our language, when we gather together, when we counsel each other, when we push one another on, we've got to establish again the glory of God's grace and the magnitude of what he's done and that all things are possible. Yes. Otherwise, we'll stay getting what we're getting which unfortunately, if you just look across the stats, right, in our country today, 30 to 40% of America right now on some kind of anti-anxiety drug or something. I mean, it is not good what's going on in our culture, right? And that's in the church. Right, where's the power of God to liberate? To set free with the, with the glorious fruits of the Spirit of God, right? Again, we've got to restore, like we see in the scripture, again, loving, bold language to each other, exalting the grace of God and taking sin seriously so we can take the grace of God seriously again, all right? And folks, if we don't, then you know what happens? Our hope, you know what happens? We slowly shift to worldly models of hope. We slowly shift to how the world deals with things and how the world is going to get breakthrough in people's lives rather than the power of the gospel. And we weaken our idea of what God can do and will do if we stand by faith right on the truth of God. We need a grace awakening, folks. Jesus is our hope. Verse 13, waiting, the grace of God should create in God's people, in our hearts, a longing. The grace of God, if it's operative in somebody's life, there should be a growing sense of a longing for Jesus. A longing for him when I wake up in the morning, a longing for him throughout the day, and a longing for him to return. And we see this all through the New Testament. We see Paul himself saying, I'd much rather depart I'd much rather depart. I'd rather die. Let's get it. Let's go. It's better to be with Jesus. And folks, what I think was happening today is every one of us would believe in that statement. Jesus, he's, yes, he's our hope. Every one of us says, yes, God loves me. But I want to ask you this morning, let's go, let's go a little deeper on this issue is, do you know him though? There's a radical difference between intellectual knowledge and saying, I believe what this says. I believe what God's done for me. A radical chasm between that and actually knowing God. 
experiential knowledge of God, experiencing the presence of God, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, not, not just some theological check mark, and I've gone to church, I've done my quiet time, I've done these things, but an actual sense of rock-solid confidence that I have met with God. I know God. He knows me. He, and, and the scripture promises that he, I am His, and no one can snatch me out of His hands. And when all this junk is going on in the world, I can step back and go, Lord, is, wow, I, I, you know, I rest because I'm in your hands. And nothing, coronavirus and nothing, gonna, that's nothing compared to what's coming, right? None of that stuff is going to bother me or can move me or rock me from the place of, I, I know you, God. He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. He says, I know them. And the, the harshest verses in the New Testament that when I read them, wake me up, or is when Jesus says he looks and evaluates believers' lives, and boy, some of that stuff looks really great. And I'm like, wow. And he says at the end, but I don't know you. I ask you this more. Do you know him? This is the rubber meets the road. It's not, again, whether you say you love him or whether even if you're doing things to show you love him. The question is, do you know him? And to know him means that you want to be with him. That, that's, that's where this is fleshed out. So how do you begin your day? Do you begin your day wanting to know him? To be with him? Or you begin your day clicking on your computer or your phone. The folks, this is, this is it. Right? This is it. We can go through all the motions. You can be baptized. You can go through all the motions. And you can look great on the outside. When it comes right down to it, gee, you're gonna, we're all going to stand before Jesus. And there's going to have to be said, do you know him? Do we have the confidence? I know him. He saved me. He's redeemed me. And I long to be with him. Folks, when that takes over in a person's life and in a church, right, he promises not only did he come, but he's present with us, manifest presence with us. It's not about coming to church, going through some motions, singing some songs and everything. It is on the heart of God's people who know him. When they come to church, they are thinking, I can't wait to experience him, be with him, worship him, right? That is faith. And that is the only way that we truly Jesus can be our hope is if we really know him. And the only way I can know him is if the grace of God has transformed, saved me and opened my eyes out of an intellectual process. And man, I, I, I myself, that's where I go. I just get in. I want to prove it. There's not some formula for this. There's not some empirical spreadsheet we can lay out on this thing. It's love. It's, things, it's issues of the soul. And you know, we don't know how to talk like that. Matter of fact, we don't even know how to talk to each other anymore, right? To get below the surface on this stuff. But what is going on in here? What are your thoughts about God? Do you experience his love? Do you experience his hope? Are you resting in him? Are you spending time with him? You see, I, I, I can't say, oh, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. I'm believing you're coming back if those other things aren't at the foundation of this. This is what salvation is all about because God wants you to be his child. He wants you to be his prized possession. That's what God's about in this world is redeeming a people to be his family. And oh my gosh, we're all off, off on this, political, this, this nation, that nation. I mean, our world's a mess right now. And you know what? The world's always been a mess. 
And guess what? Just a little wake-up call. No human being, no matter how many causes you put yourself toward, you will never fix this world. Never. There's only one solution to this world. It's the gospel. And when we're saved, we're we're to line up our cause with Jesus' cause. And so I want to speak boldly to our millennial crowd watching online. And when this goes out, I want to speak as bold as I can, right? Is if your causes are not submitted to the cause of Christ, following Jesus is not carrying a picket, it's not doing this, it's not going after anything out there to save the world, if at the forefront of that thing isn't submitting our lives to the cause of Christ. It's not harnessing Jesus. And I am so sick and tired of what's going on in our country right now. People taking the name of Jesus, taking the gospel, and trying to line it up with their cause. That is not Christianity. When Jesus said, come deny yourself, pick up your cross, you follow me. We line up with his cause. And then any other thing I do at the tip of that spear is first and foremost the solution of the gospel. It's not all these other things. Right? This must be restored in the church today. Right now, social justice that's completely removed from spiritual justice is taking over in the church. So there's another solution. Some idea that we as millennials, we're going to fix this world. We're going to make this world a better place. Good luck with that. Just read your history books. You're going to be disillusioned quickly. Right? This doesn't mean we don't work hard. We're going to talk about good works here in just a minute. But if at the front of my work, where I place myself, if my cause, and folks, to follow Jesus means you and I need to be known by one cause. That's a follower of Jesus. No matter what I do, if I go over to work on this effort or help this effort or do that effort or that thing, that's all fine and dandy, but I need to be known as one who knows Jesus. If not, guess what? The world's going to take over, and I'm subtly, and this is happening, is I'm more concerned, I'm more passionate. The more I talk, more of my money, my time is put forth, a cause or something outside of what Jesus has called me to. Until this is restored, we cannot have our hope in Jesus. A genuine hope, right? And folks, this is when I'll break this down. I hope this makes sense. People first and then the world, all right? He says this, all right here. He says, who, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what God's doing in the world. That's what he's passionate about, right? Not this cause, not that cause. And, and folks, the, the scripture is very clear. This world is passing away. No matter how much effort you throw in at fixing the environment, fixing racism, okay, it will not work. Okay? Because the root issue of sin must be dealt with. Okay? It's got to be dealt with. That has to be. All those efforts are good. Don't get me wrong. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be known as the one who follows Jesus, not the one who is out here with all these other things primarily. Those should be secondary, right, issues in this thing. Look how Jesus operated. Did Jesus operate? Just read Jesus. I, and this is what drives me crazy about Jesus. Well, Jesus wouldn't do this, or Jesus wouldn't do that, or Jesus would be doing this, or Jesus would be voting this way or that way. I'm like, you don't know Jesus, <laughs> right? How did Jesus deal with, with this issue? Is there anything in this Bible that says that Jesus tells his churches, people, that by your efforts, you're going to be able to transform this world, this world. You're going to be make, make this place better. Did Paul change Ephesus? What happened to Ephesus? It remained a pagan, dark, evil place. But guess what? 
Because of Paul's and the church's effort, God accomplished his person. Out of Ephesus, he called some people into the family. Right. right? What happened in Rome? Did the church transform Rome? No, but what happened? The church, by being faithful, what God was most important about was, hey, let's get some who loves me here. Let's gather, let's gather the family. Right? Did he call them to go out and change the politics? Did he call them to go out and, and, and whatever, you know, fix the, the, just go down the issues? Right? Now, again, those things, we need to be a part of those, man. All Christians throughout, they were involved in all these things, but they were known primarily for one solution, which was bring the grace of God to people. And folks, the world, and again, millennials, please, I plead with you, listen to me. Your efforts will not change the world. The world is fallen, and it's going to hell in a handbasket until God restores it. Okay? There is one solution, and Jesus did this. And folks, this is how we're to live. Jesus, what did he do? He had time for the individual. He had time for the individual. When, when all crud was going on, he, the woman that grabbed the cloak, he looked her in the eye. He loved her. He ministered to her soul. That's how Jesus might. People first. People first. The cause and everything else, the working to help better the world, that should be secondary. It's important. But I need to walk like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He was all about people. Why? Because he was about his father's business. Was His father's business was about redeeming people into the family of God. It wasn't about making Jerusalem a cleaner city. Okay? Now, and again, I know I'm going to be completely misunderstood. Don't get me wrong. We need to be very good environmentalists. We need to take care of poverty issues. Please. Okay, do you under, I hope you understand, right? He was about primarily changing souls. And the church right now has this backwards. Right? We're about transforming the world. We're about cause after cause after cause. And what happens when we do that? The message gets watered down. And it gets watered down to the point where we are afraid, I can't say that anymore. I can't bring that good news in here anymore. I can't talk about Jesus in this environment. And what slowly is going to happen to a Christian's life is, what happens? Hope, rock solid hope disappears. Now I'm embracing the world and the things of the world. Folks, we need to put people first over this world. This world's passing away. God has given his church a mission to reach and love people, individuals, right? And so let me just give you another little thing just as you watch what's going on in our world right now, the chaos and everything that's happening is in the midst, it's just amazing to me, in the midst of people gathering together for a good cause, right? And, and trying to end something that's going on, right? In, in our culture, they're stomping on individuals. They're stomping on individuals and they're not loving the very people, all the other people around them. There's polarizing, they're demonizing, they're not listening, right? And, and the sad thing is Christians are being swept into this thing rather than it's the individual, it's the person that I need to step into and take care of, right? Does that make sense, guys? Um, man, he, look what God is up to. He gave himself for us to redeem, to rescue us from all law. What is lawlessness? Oh, we're, law enforcement is an oxymoron today, right? 
Lawlessness is a suppression of truth over a period of time, which leads to a minimizing of personal responsibility, which is um, an embrace that we think that we can actually teach virtues. We can educate. If we just educate people, we're going to be a better society. That's the biggest lie on the face of the earth. Greeks and Romans, Western thought that's influenced all of our educational system believes that we can actually educate and train people and we will make them more virtuous people. Has that, has that worked out in our world well? So the more we educate, and do we think we can actually teach? I know in the school systems, they know they need to um, teach character. How's that working? Can you teach character? You can't. Back to the first thing we start with was, what's the solution? If you think you can teach character, that if you just do an empirical, here, this is what you're supposed to do, right? We're not going to... The whole history of the world should show it. If you're a parent, you should know this firsthand. There has to be a heart change. There has to be something that, that moves, right? Character is, is not just an intellectual process. It's got to move from the head, right, to the heart on this thing, right? But what God is, he's up to the same thing he's always been about is he is building a family. And boy, that's the awesome hope of, and, and folks are being restored of, wow, Jeez, look what you've done for me. And to understand the beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of the family of God. In the first service, we had some people visiting. Oh, they gave some incredible encouragement as they travel, just sensing this is family. This is family. We've all been redeemed. We've been redeemed out of this city, that city, this situation, that city, into the family of God. That's what God is about. That's it. Boy, how we get distracted, right, in this, in this whole thing. Final thinking is genuine faith works, right? And he, <clears throat> he redeems us to be his possession. And this is such beautiful language, gang. Um, a people for his own possession. This goes all the way back to Exodus. This word I've talked about in the deserts is segula. His treasured, special people. You're special You've been redeemed. You've been plucked out of your situation like Abraham and others to be a part of the family of God. You, there's no greater expression of being special or being unique and valued in the world and affirmed than that, than your father's love for you. You've been rescued, been redeemed. That is, that is what we need to, that's the message we need to, whatever we're doing, we're working, we're serving, we're, we're, we're helping some great cause. We, the, the thing that has to consume us in all that is that message, right? That's being his witnesses. That is good work. So let's define real quick good works. Let me give you a couple of verses. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. Because again, everything we've talked about in our culture today and in the churches, we've defined good works, right, as these zealous for good. We've defined these works as just, hey, just doing some good works, doing some good causes, just being a good person. That's not what the Bible means. This idea of good works in the New Testament is very, very clear. And so I'll just give you a couple to look at first, or Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says, <clears throat> be the light, be the salt. You're to be the light, the salt in the, in the world and, and lit... Um, we're to lit our, our good works or to others to see our good works and what? Glorify our Father in heaven. There isn't just people, and let me just say this, when, when we work and we get the applause of, of the world, 
You see, this is, this is a shift. Nowhere in the scripture do you see any of this idea that, hey, we should be doing things out there. And when the community that doesn't know the world, that doesn't know God says, wow, church, wow, man, you guys are doing such great work with all those causes, all that good stuff. Applaud. Guess what Jesus says? And so now he says that that's the only reward that you'll get. Right? We're not to work for the applause of man. And by the way, God's work that he does is not ever applauded by the world. Ever. If the world applauds, we need to wake up and we need to say, wow, am I making a real difference here? Am I, am I, am I doing the world's work? Which, which person am I exalting here in my life, right? And so he makes it real clear. Good works is to be directly connected. My work is to be working very intentionally so that someone can see my involvement with them in whatever the issue is and that they will turn and glorify God in heaven. A very bold, intentional, right, on the line, putting my relationship with them on the line, as he says a few verses before in some amount, blessed are you when you are reviled for my name's sake. In other words, when you're out there in the place and you bring up Jesus, blessed are you when people reject you. You know, I know, when I'm truly living for Jesus, when I'm being rejected for his name. Not because I'm being stupid, but because I'm truly want to take a step of faith to exalt the name of Jesus, right? And there's several other verses that talk about good works. Ephesians 2.10 is beautiful. We were created. We're his workmanship. His beautiful workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God has prepared those good works for you, each of you. God has things for you to do for him. But you know what? Here's the problem. Is that if I lean over to, it's never like the world does them. It's never like my flesh does them. There are things God's prepared for me. And the final one would be just um, in uh, John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear fruit. And that's fruit that lasts, gang. And then he says, for without me, you can do nothing. And so, folks, one thing that just I, I constantly try to do is, Lord, I, I want to make sure that my good works, my works, the things I'm giving myself to, my cause, my efforts, I, I, we all have to say, Lord, if you're not with me, this is nothing. If you're not with me, this is nothing. And in the church today, we have a lot of spiritual effort. We've got a lot of cause. We've got a lot of things going on. And guess what? It's flesh doesn't matter how good it is, but if God isn't in there, if I can't fully say I'm abandoned to Jesus and that he has me doing this and I have him at the tip of the spear in this thing, Jesus says it's nothing. No eternal value, no spiritual fruit. Ultimately, when it comes to understanding what good works are. And of course, I mean, we could go on and on. I just, it's a huge, beautiful word study to do through the New Testament. You can go to uh, uh, John 14. Jesus says, you'll do greater works than I. Wow. Who's taking that one serious? Right? zealous for good works but works that bring glory to the father works that in the midst of my working i am bold for jesus and i am willing to be reviled for his name i'm willing to not get the applause of of the community and the people around me but i'm willing to make a stand with jesus and folks let me tell you where we're headed right now all right jesus is the only name that you cannot say that i cannot say out in public without being reviled there's no other name you can bring up any spiritual guru any other god and you know what you will not be reviled but you bring up you start honestly talking about jesus you will be reviled 
that should be an encouragement to you. Yes. Right? I mean, that should be an encouragement. That should show the proof of the power of the name that every knee will bow one day before. Right? So, man, let's exalt his name. And it's time to encourage each other that, hey, watch out. Are you worried that that person's rejecting you out there? Guess what? If they're not, we're not doing the work. He, he made it very clear over and over again. You will enter tribulation. You will be reviled. You will be persecuted. So if we're not, guess what? We are embracing the things of the world, the works of the world and the flesh, more than the good works that he's prepared for us. Folks, I just want to end, and we're going to let you encourage all of us. Folks, look how the Bible ends. Revelation 22. This is how it ends. He who testifies to these things. In other words, John is saying all this revelation, all this truth. And uh, he who testifies to these things says, and these are Jesus' words, surely I am coming soon. Uh, it doesn't seem like soon. It's been a long time. But remember, for God, one day is like a thousand and a thousand is like, and he has an eternal perspective, right? And so if I understand my time and everything is in his hands, wow, Lord, you know, what is the response? This next part of this verse is what to be, is to be the chorus of the church regularly when we're together. Amen, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Folks, without that heartbeat, without a burning heart that can say that every day and grow into the longing of that, hope is impossible. It's impossible. So hope, take these things. I hope uh, there's power in these few verses, right? And how we need to encourage each other today, right, to hold on to him. Right? To strengthen our hope. What it, where is the foundation of our hope? Right? So let me pray. Derek, you'll come on up here and, and lead us. And folks, just let's take some time to be quiet before the Lord. I'm going to pray. And, um, and then we have the two microphones here. Again, the church is never to be just one-way communication. Right? It's to be the, here's the word of God. And then the church is to respond. Right? It's to respond. And so... Um, I just, if you have something on your heart, let's just take some time, bring it. If it's a special passage that encourages us in line with what they're talking about, if you get a word of encouragement, exhortation for us, testimony, make it short, what God is doing to encourage us, bring it. Bring it. This is not, let me just, I have to say it, this is not a place for political messages. This is only a place for the kingdom of God. The things of God, right? Because we're the people of God. So, Father, we just rejoice in your glorious name this morning. Father, I pray for everybody watching online. Holy Spirit, just move into those households. Let your manifest presence be with us again, God. Let your people wake up. We want to know you. We want to, we want to experience you, God. We want to know you. Holy Spirit, pour out, Lord, your blessings on your people. Lord, I pray anybody watching, anybody in here, Lord, encourage us. If there's doubt, if there's not that sense of, of knowing you, may the grace of God pour out powerfully. Transform, encourage your people, Lord. 
Lord, let us encourage each other. And not neglect gathering together as some have as we see the day coming. Lord, come be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.